Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. John Ross Bowie is an actor, he's a screenwriter, he's a comedian, he's an improv artist, he is an author, he's a dad, he is a podcast host. He does a lot of stuff, and I'm, I'm sure the list goes on from there because he's a bit of an overachiever. Um, he and I know each other um, because of Thrilling Adventure Hour, uh, I think. We've, we've crossed paths a lot over the years. We've done a lot of shows together, and it's always a blast. He is a genuine, fun guy. He's got a spark about him that I really love and appreciate. When I had the idea to do these conversations that became the podcast that is Wheels Off, it was about the kind of conversation that I've had with John over the years in backstages and green rooms and cafes. You know, um, it's this conversation about life. What are we doing? How do we do it? How do we do art? Why do we do art? This stuff is all so weird. Oh, it's so tricky. So, to get to have that conversation uh, with John for you guys was a real treat. And I learned things about him during the course of the conversation that I didn't know before. And I'm just so glad that you get to uh, peek inside of his mind. And um, I think you're really going to appreciate the insights that you'll find there. So please welcome to Wheels Off, the great John Ross Bowie. Welcome to Wheels Off, John Ross Bowie. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, Rat, I'm so happy to be here. I'm oh, so happy to be here. From the edification, or for the edification of our listeners, from where are you joining us? Uh, I am in uh, my my living room in Los Angeles. Um, we have a um, we have a recliner in the corner of the living room. There's like this little carve out, um, and uh, we we kind of jokingly call it the office um uh um so we uh, i'm in our office right now 
which um, is just a laptop, microphone, family photo. Um, but yeah, we it, it, whoever like gets here first in the day has it for the rest of the day. Uh, and it's pretty close to the router. And it's uh, it's some choice real estate here in this uh, this uh, this three bedroom. It's nice. It's not bad. <laughs> Are, have you ended up getting into more voiceover nowadays during the pandemic than you were doing before? No, you know, it's funny. I get I get asked that question a fair amount. Um, that is a very, very tough, um, uh, tough racket to break into, man. I, I have gotten some cartoon gigs, but they've all been because I was working for the network anyway. You know, I, I, I when I was when I was on an ABC show, I got a couple of Disney opportunities that kind of fell into my lap and, you know, it was all just sort of like this um you know, best not to think too hard about it, corporate synergy. Um, but I, I, there's a real gift to voiceover work and I've got friends who, who do very well at it. And I have just not cracked that code. I, I hardly ever do like um, the, the commercial gigs, but those are going to enormous actors right now. Like Brian Cox is doing McDonald's. That's Brian <laughs> Cox selling the Big Mac. And I, we, my wife and I were sitting there like, that's 100% the patriarch from succession. That is absolutely the patriarch from succession selling us this burger right now. So yeah, it's a, um, it is a, it is rarefied air in the voiceover world. And I have not cracked that code. It's a shame too, because I have this awesome new microphone that my podcast network gave me that is, you know, directional and strong. And I got a great XLR cable with it and it's just sitting here and it, it's great for the podcast, but that's all I am using it for. It's, I was pretty sure you were going to say, I have this awesome voice and I was going to agree with you. You really do. <laughs> I have a specific voice. I don't, I don't know how awesome it is. It's um, it's um, it is idiosyncratic, I think, is the word we're hunting for. Um, so what creative project are you working on at the moment and how is it lighting you up? Uh, the thing I, I'm I'm lit up by the most right at this moment is this podcast I've been doing called household faces where um, I interview character actors. I interview people who are instantly recognizable, but maybe don't have name recognition um, and have uh, are, are you know, what our British friends call jobbing actors. So they're not, you know, drowning in offers all the time. They go from job to job. They're often not entirely sure when their next job is coming. Um, but they have been working for, you know, decades in some cases. And it's been really, really interesting during this, you know, I worked a little bit during the pandemic and I, I just had a, a, a one-off sitcom gig last week, but, you know, I've, I've obviously been going through like a lot of people, a, a substantial employment lull, um, uh, what with this um, this global pandemic, I don't know if you follow the news, but there was this there was a global pandemic, and uh, it's been strange because it's it's acting is one of those things where you really can't do it in a vacuum. You know, uh, I can't do like a, a a stage it show necessarily. Not that like musicians have it easy by any stretch right now, but it's it's still a very weird time to work in a field that requires an audience. So in that lull, I have reached out to other actors who are going through similar um, uh, purgatories 
And it's been really fun to sort of talk to people. The, the common thread with all of these, these, these actors is that they don't really, they, they love it. They really love the work because they're not hugely rich and famous from it. So it's clearly just for the love of it, which is neat. You know, there's the people who are like, well, I got to keep acting because, you know, I got to get that. I got to pay off that castle in Italy. You know, this is not who I'm talking to. I'm talking to the people who are just trying to pay off the house in, in Woodland Hills, you know, and, and it's exciting to see people who for whom this is a real career. You know, it's not a golden handcuff situation. This is just what they love doing. And uh, they're grateful for every opportunity they get, which is a very long winded answer to uh, uh, your question. The answer is uh, I'm doing a podcast. Right? <laughs> I love it. I, I feel like when people think about your job or my job, they they think about the extremes, right? It's the, it's yeah. the, the castle dwellers or you the, know, waiters. The, the gutters, the, the waiters. Yeah, the um, the gutter dwellers. Um, but there's something about being middle class, like the middle class in the music industry got sort of cut out. And, you know, there is I feel like I'm one of the few working musicians that's you know not that's not one of the extremes. I feel like maybe in acting there it does allow for a little more middle class. But I guess if you're looking at a percentage of the overall actors, it's still an incredibly small percentage that are able to make a living. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, if you if you go by um, actual union membership um, and the people who are working regularly within that uh, union membership, it is it's pretty small. But yeah, I, pound for pound, given the vagaries of our our respective businesses, I think it's easier to maintain a a middle class. And again, we're using middle class in quotes. Please understand <laughs> yeah. that there's a middle class to the arts that is different from what middle Damn. class looks like in Akron or what have you. But the um, uh, I think it's it's easier to to maintain a middle ground in acting. But you're right. There is a striking misunderstanding about what it means to not be hugely rich and famous, but also not have a day job. And, and it's that sort of interesting air uh, that we're exploring with the podcast. I think yeah. it's also weird because because it's that it, you get people who my my probably my most recognizable credit is is Big Bang Theory, which you know ran for twelve years, and I was on you know I did twenty five episodes, and it was lovely, and I'm very very grateful. But you know it, it's funny people assume that. I made a lot more than I did being on that show. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not complaining about how I was compensated for my work, but the reason the, the main stars of that show's salaries made headlines is because they were a total anomaly in this business. That's why it was newsworthy. Mine didn't make a headline and there's a reason. <laughs> uh, so, so, but it, it is very interesting. Like, and again, this is me getting, um, you know, it was very easy to dismiss me as like, Oh, he's, you know, he's just a, he's just a bit player and he, he, you know, probably still has to tempt. But now I'm sort of getting this other misconception that like I'm, I'm in some sort of gated community and I've honestly only ever been to a gated community once <laughs> and was super uncomfortable. 
but like I went to, I went to a party one time that was actually within a gated community and people are always, uh, it, my, my social media can be a little bit of a shit show sometimes. And people are constantly like, well, why don't you move out of your gated community? I'm like, I'm renting the bottom of a duplex, man. I'm not complaining, but let's fucking have some perspective. <laughs> you, you do interact more than I think I could ever imagine. And I think it's, you're doing God's work. You're fighting mm. the good fight, but how, does it take mm. a lot out of you, John? It, 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 it is. Well, I left Twitter, which has helped immeasurably yeah. leaving Twitter because there was something about, there is something about, you know what it is, is that um, on Twitter, you're just, you, you, Twitter's like an arena and you go, I just bumped my mic. Let me start over. <laughs> Twitter is uh, is like this arena and you go into the arena and everyone is just duking it out and everyone can see the arena. Instagram is like your lawn. And if someone comes onto your lawn and comments and puts something in there that is genuinely harmful, you can delete their post. You can delete their comment rather, you know, and you can't delete somebody else's comment on Twitter. So for that very simple reason, I, 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 have left Twitter and am focusing my stuff on Instagram and I'm trying to keep things civil, <clears throat> but you know, the internet's going to internet and, and troll is going to troll. And uh, yeah, there's, um, it is probably the thing that annoys my wife the most about me <clears throat> is me engaging. Um, there is a community I'm involved with uh, that has a slogan, which is you don't have to show up to every fight you're invited to. And I need to put that like right at eye level on my laptop. I That's to, a and I will, I'm going to post that. I'm going to get a post-it and just put that right there. And um, because, you know, I don't, you know, nobody wants to go to their grave going, boy, I sure, I sure did show that troll what for, you know? <laughs> So I know you you came to where you're at now a roundabout way. Like you've done a lot of different stuff. And um, and I really, I mean, I admire that. And I feel like you continue to flex your muscles in different directions. I don't know if that metaphor works, but um, I wonder for it's a you. a fascinating image though. <laughs> I know. You know huh? um, I wonder for you, when you were starting out, did you know that you wanted to act specifically? Did you know you wanted to live a life in the arts um, generally, was there like an epiphany moment? How did it start for you? That's a really good question. And the answer is yes, but I kept it to myself. Um, I, as a, as a very young child, wanted to be an actor while I was watching TV and was like, oh, that looks amazing. Can we go visit Rhoda? <laughs> and my parents were like, Rhoda's not real. That's, um, I said, but she lives in New York. I'm like, well, okay. The character lives in New York. The, the actress lives in a you know, that's a lives in LA and that's a soundstage probably in a place called Burbank. And I was fascinated by that. So I announced that I wanted to be an actor and I did like plays in elementary school, like very early on in elementary school. And then I started to see, I, I grew up in Manhattan. I grew up in the West forties of Manhattan, which is the theater district. And, and I, saw a lot of my friends' parents try to make it as actors and really struggle. And, and there was just a lot of uncertainty and there was a lot of literal tears. And, and then somewhere around 12, I developed this very profound fear of public speaking. I just felt like people had suddenly like, 
I was kind of a late bloomer and, and suddenly there were all these guys whose voices had changed and were tall all of a sudden starting in, in seventh grade. So those two things, like this very practical concern about like, I don't think these people make a living versus meeting with um, this sudden realization that I was not cool and I was short and, uh, and my voice was cracking all the time, just sort of combined to make acting this very elusive goal. Um, so I, I, I did, I, I, I had a very circuitous route to it. So in the, in the 15 or so years that I took off from the dream, I kind of did a bunch of other things. Like I, I, I worked in, I worked in college radio, um, and thought about doing that professionally, which was nice because that got me over the public speaking hump because I could talk to people I couldn't see. And like the next morning they would say, Hey, I liked your set last night. I liked your, your, your shift on the air. I, I had never heard that REM deep cut. This is the early nineties. Uh, and, uh, and, and thank you for playing that music. And so that was sort of a, Oh, okay. So this was just sort of a, a delayed, like I can speak to these people. They can hear me. I'm not looking at them. And then I, I was an English major. One is never really entirely sure what they're going to do with an English major. So I opted having kind of gotten over the public speaking hump. I, I opted to um, study to be a high school teacher, went back to my old high school, taught for one year that almost broke me. <laughs> I was like 20. I mean, I was 22, you know, I had topped off at five foot eight. You know, I was, uh, you know, I, I, I shaved every day, but I didn't have to, <laughs> you know, it's like one of those things where I just looked like a senior in a tie and it was very hard to command respect. You know, it was just really, really hard to command respect. And as, as frustrating as it was, there was a huge part of me that just could not blame the students for looking at me and being like, yeah, I'm going to get up and leave and you're not going to stop me. <laughs> So um, that happened. Um, and then that felt like I had just sort of rushed myself into adulthood. So then I started a band and I was in a punk band for about three or four years. And then that broke up and I got profoundly depressed. I had nothing creative going on in my life at all. I was trying to be a writer. That wasn't really working out. Um, I, uh, I just, I was just really, really, and I, I'm not tossing the word depression around freely. I and mean, we, you and I have, I've talked about this. I think it was a really like deep existential funk of like, what am I doing? Um, I, I am working in an office as my day job. I am writing marketing copy for a consulting firm. I'm like writing brochures for these people. I, I don't, I, I don't think I'm that good at it. I don't believe in what the company is doing. I just had this very, awful quarter life crisis. And a friend suggested I take improv classes. And I was really scared of improv. But it's one of those things where, you know, you you get to a place where you kind of get into a headspace where you have nothing to lose. And and you're you might as well do something that terrifies you because you're sitting in a cubicle drenched in panic all the time anyway so given that panic is now the baseline you might as well just go ahead and and, and do something scary so i started taking improv classes and yeah the moment you asked about came in that first class i went up there i got a laugh 
it felt good. I got another laugh, felt really good. I sat down and this woman who I'm going to name check named Celia Bresak looked over her shoulder and said, that was a a good scene. So are you an actor? And I said, no. Uh, Huh. And, um, you know, when, uh, you know, they're not going to make a cheesy auto, you know, like a cheesy uh, biography movie of me, but should they, um, that would be a moment where the camera pushes in and there's some sort of uh, nice orchestral cue to, you know, tip us off how the rest of the thing's going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, I, I love that. Um, I kind of, you're, you're reminding me the other day when the kids and I were at a restaurant near an airport coming home from a, um, a family vacation, they were asking about acting acting and actors and friends of mine that act and what it's like. And I said, well, you know, my favorite actors and some of my, you know, my best friends that act really started in improv. So they were asking me a lot about improv about which I know very little, just from, you know, a bunch of, you know, the thrilling adventure folks and different friends of mine. And um, we started at the table at this restaurant doing improv, the kids and I, I would, there are three of us. And so I, or, so I'd say to the one who wasn't going to be doing it, okay, name an occupation and a location. And then the others, we would just start doing it. And it was one of the most fun lunches I've ever had in my life. We've been, we do that with the kids. We do improv games with the kids sometimes, <laughs> which um, is, uh, is incredibly satisfying and incredibly um, fun. And it, it kind of gives them this, um, this tailwind you know, it just gives them like, my God, look at what I'm capable of. Yeah. Look at what is sitting lying dormant inside me. Um, yeah, it was a real game changer for me. It was a real, and it makes you, if you do it properly, it makes you even more adept with scripted material, you know, because you're already used to listening. You're already used to paying extra attention. So even when you know what the next, what the person is going to say to you, because it's all scripted, you're still hopefully able to to lock in and notice the, the different ways they say it in each take and, and sort of dimensionalize each version of the scene you end up doing. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an invaluable tool. Um, so you've alluded to some internal struggles. Um, and I wonder what have you figured out over the years? Um, <laughs> come on. No, I mean, I, I think you're doing pretty great. Like you, you're living a, an examined life, right? Which is the best, the life worth living. Um, right. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. And, but I just, I wonder like what, what tricks have you figured out? What have you pushed through those internally generated obstacles? Um. I, yeah, I don't mean to be be flippant. Yes, I obviously have. I'm here to to you know tell the tale. I'm in a uh, you know I'm I'm uh, I'm at a, a not advanced age, but I'm I'm you know I've, I I recently <laughs> hit a milestone, and uh, um, I've got two uh, pretty healthy kids that I I support. One of the big things I've learned, and this can't be said enough, is that depression is temporary. Like you can only go through a really gnarly depression for the first time once. And that first time you go through a really gnarly depression, it's terrifying and awful. And it feels like the world is giving way underneath you, but you will likely get through it. And once you get through it, when it returns, you are able to go, okay, I've been here before. It's not fun, but it will pass. And that's something I really wish someone had told me when I, when I first had my, my, my breakdown, um, 
which I'm pretty comfortable calling a breakdown. I think if you sob in your cubicle at work, that's we call that a breakdown, right? I don't think we're overusing the term. I think that's a legitimate breakdown. Well, I, I really wish someone had had told me that this was temporary. You're not always going to feel like this. Um, the other thing that has helped, particularly during the these past you know 16 months of awful, has been um, just a real focus on the connection between mind and body, and just uh, exercising. I know it sounds so kind of tropey and LA but you, you just gotta, gotta get out there and move your body. And it's really hard. And it's, if you're, if you're, if you wake up in a shitty mood, like the last thing you want to do is get up and move your body, but it's, it is, and it can feel like you are, are, you know, lifting sandbags up a ladder sometimes just going out for a walk. But if you can get that one sandbag up, the others will be easier and it will, uh, it will build from there. Um, what else? I quit drinking about 10 years ago. That was really good for me. Um, I was not a um, crazy rock bottom alcoholic by any stretch, but I was definitely drinking more than I thought was appropriate for a father of two. And, um, and it, when I stopped, I had to start looking at like the anxiety and fear that was making me drink in the first place. And so I'm able to work on that too. So, you know, just, I, you know, there's just a bunch of things. You know what's really helped, actually? You know what's really helping lately? And I say this to you because you're you're looking at me with a, from in front of a wall of guitars. So I'm reading this book, right? Hear me out. I'm about to get so fucking L.A. on you. I'm reading <laughs> I'm reading the new Oprah book. Stay with me, Rhett. <laughs> and she wrote it with a uh, doctor named Dr. Bruce Perry, I want to say. And it is called, it has the title is the title is What Happened to You? Hang on, please stay with me. And it's about dealing with childhood trauma and, and, and we're using trauma as a very large uh, umbrella. There's obviously the kind of trauma that Oprah went through, which was sexual assault and horrible things like that. But there's also stuff like, you know, like I had like, you know, having a, a, a drunk dad or, or getting mugged when you were very, very young because you were living in, you know, New York in the seventies and eighties, you know, all those sort of lowercase T traumas that, that come your way. And one of the things that that keeps coming up and that we are losing as a culture is the the idea of singing together in rhythm and 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 the curative powers of music so i've been i've been just playing a lot more guitar over the over the pandemic and i've been writing songs again and it's yes. been um and i i don't even think they're necessarily for public consumption but they have been so curative and not everyone has that opportunity and there's people who are genuinely tone deaf but i bet there's more people who can do it than realize they can and um not to give away a trade secret um but uh, not to encroach upon your 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 gifts um but you know find your songwriting find your noodling around on acoustic guitar i printed out these charts that basically are just blues tablature charts so i can like put a, uh, a backing riff in a on my phone and then sit down and noodle over that for 10 minutes. And I feel like a million bucks afterwards. Wow. 
I get up and I'm just, I, you know, and I sound like, you know, two-year-old buddy guy. I sound terrible, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not hitting wrong notes too often. And I'm just really enjoying myself doing it. And, and music has been incredibly palliative in, uh, in the, the past year and a half. God, I love that. That's that's something I truly believe. You know, if, well, haven't if, you found that? I mean, in your yeah. in your in 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 operating as you have, uh, you know, and you're used. To, you've got a solo career, yes, but you're used to being in a band, and there's nothing like being in a band, and that is a kinship that is hard to explain to others. But but your the the shows you've been doing must be just such a godsend right now. Yeah, and it's way beyond you know just uh, the the being able to replace lost income. But you know, it's it's like it's a purpose. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a tendril that reaches, you know, through the, the off bounces off a satellite and hits another person, and then we're connected. It's beautiful. It helps a lot. Yeah, yeah, and I love that you've been um, uh, that you take requests. <laughs> and yeah. and your and your surprising covers. I didn't see the show, but I went on to um. I go on to Setlist FM sometimes just to check up on see what people are doing. And uh, you did a Cramps cover the other night. That's from high school. I've been covering TV sets since I was in high school. Oh wow! Yeah, That's so great. Well, I love that. Like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a I'm a Cramps fan. I love the Cramps. Oh, and, yeah. Um, and they were. I saw them on the Date with Elvis tour, and um, they are um. I'm just getting a little more rootsy in my tastes too, as I get older. Like I'm absolutely, you know, you've listened to me playing, you know, trying to play blues guitar and listening to more like folk and country and stuff. So I love the fact that you're, you're, you're bringing the cramps into your oeuvre. I mean, I guess there is, it's not a huge gulf between the two of you, but it's still a, a really fun thing that you're doing. That's, that's awesome. It's funny, the old 97s in our earliest days were we played multiple cramps songs in our sets when we didn't have enough originals. Oh, really? In, in fact, the, the gold tooth I have in my lower teeth is because we were doing a uh, new, new kind of kick, some new kind uh-huh. of kick and uh, during an encore. And I was drunk and I stuck the microphone in my mouth, of course, because when you're doing a lot of interior. Yeah. yeah. And when I pulled it out, the tooth came with it and blood and the tooth on the floor. And it was pretty great. That's glorious. That's pretty that's, great. Job. That's quite the war wound. <laughs> um, okay. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to sort of distill all of this um, wisdom you've been sharing. But before then, we're going to have to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. And we're back. John Ross Bowie. I'm so glad to have you here in Wheels Off with me. And I feel like I could talk to you all day, but we yeah. um, try to keep these to like a half an hour so we don't wear out our welcome I say we because there's an entire team of people that help put this together. And as a podcaster, you now know this, right? I do now know this. And I also try to keep my stuff. I, can, I, I can't do a half hour, but I can do an hour. And I do try to keep it to about an hour. Yeah. And um, I just feel like, um, you know, like you've got a, you've got like a steady 50 mile ride, you know, that someone's <laughs> using you for, you know, and just honor that. Yeah. Um, and uh, it shouldn't take more than like, two trips to cover your podcast, you know, you just get in there. But I, I, yeah, brevity is the soul of wit, right? I, I love this. Um, so, okay. If you were to, and this boy, when I talk to people who have kids, especially teenagers or kids getting close to those ages, it's um, it becomes like a um, something that you're dealing with in real life every day. But if, if you were to run across a 21 year old, say version of yourself working in today's world, 
uh, living in today's world, what advice might you give yourself? A 21-year-old version of myself living in today's world. Okay. 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 It's funny. I talk about this all the time with my my friends, my other middle-aged friends. Um, the, the thing I would advise a 20-year-old version of me to do if they were living in 2021 is stay the fuck off social media because you have a big mouth and you drink. So shush. Shush. <laughs> stay off of that. Not everyone needs to know your thoughts. Um, That would be the primary thing. And I think if you, if you nip that in the bud, a lot of your other problems can go away, but um, uh, you know, it's funny. Like I, I, I I don't look back at, you know, I have friends who, who ask if they are worried, if they, if I'm ever concerned that I started to a little later, you know, cause I was 20, Eight, 28. I was 28 when I started booking commercials, which is, you know, by no means old, but it's a little bit of a late start for acting. You know, there's a lot of people who start when they're teenagers. There's a lot of people who start right after they get their BFA or whatever at 22. And there's people like, do you ever wish you got a kind of an earlier start? And I have blown it. I'd have absolutely blown it. I know it. If I'd started earlier, I needed to spend a year teaching high school. I definitely needed to spend a few years in a band. Um, I, 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 I don't have, you know, could I have been kinder to some people along the way? Yeah, absolutely. I regret that. But in terms of the decisions I made within my own life, you know, the 21 year old John, um, should, should steer clear of the booze, but, but for the most part, keep on keeping on, man, it's, it's going to work out. Um, I, 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 I feel like people get, I don't know. You're right. You're asking me to distill something that's very hard to distill. It's like a, it's like a big chunky stew and you're trying to meet it, boil it down to its essence. And I'm, I'm having trouble doing that. And it's a, a worthwhile question, right? Don't get me wrong, but I just feel like I could have spent a lot less time worrying and a lot less time being scared of the future. Um, and I still could. No question, but especially in my early twenties, I, I, it has all worked out the way it was supposed to. And I'm really grateful for that. It's funny how often that, I mean, I guess I'm 70 episodes into doing these conversations recording them, at least I had them pre pre podcast uh, for years. It's funny how often what it comes down to is just wanting to like love that kid, right? And say, yeah, it's gonna be okay. Like when we're yeah. young, it seems everything seems so important and so terrifying. Yeah, it really is. But I, I would love to just tell the 21 year old that he's gonna keep his hair. And he's, because <laughs> um, that was up in the air for a little while. I had a bald grandfather <laughs> on my mom's side. And I was like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't, and I have a weird bumpy skull. I don't think it'd be a good look on me. I don't have that like Vin Diesel, like smooth thing going on. It would have been, but, um, but you know, you're going to keep your hair. You're going to, you're going to find love. You're, you're gonna, you're going to have beautiful, healthy kids and you're going to have the sort of career that you yourself liked watching when you were a kid. You know, you're not going to be hugely famous, but you'll be recognizable and you'll be known for doing you know, you'll be known as a reliable workhorse of an actor. And, um, 
and you'll be surprised how much awesome stuff is coming your way. And yeah, then you'd get a hug. Oh, I love that. John, thank you so much for being on Wheels Off and, and letting us peek inside that, that funny, interesting, hilarious, complicated brain of yours. Oh, that, that's um, very generous of you, Rhett. Thank you. I love the show. Thank you very much for having me on. Too. Thanks so much. And I can't wait to listen to your podcast. It's going to be, uh, I mean, it's, uh, I wish I was a, I wish I was a working character actor. <laughs> I could be on it. Uh, I think you dig it though. It's honestly, I think, I, I think, no, I know you'll dig it because you, you are enough of a fan, I think, to appreciate the stuff that gets talked about on it. Uh, I, I think you'll enjoy it. All right. Take care, John Bowie. Thank you so much. Mwah. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Osiris. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.